0: This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On Air. It's been something of a radio personality and has sung on shortwave radio to Australia and the Pacific nations for 30 years. However, the early recordings failed to reflect the versatility of the bellbird with its wide variety of liquid notes and artistically placed clicks and bell-like sounds. It's not surprising that Maori mythology describes Korimako, the bellbird, as the messenger of Tane, sent to herald the coming of the sun. Community or
1: chaos? We can construct and nurture community or fall into chaos. Over the next hour, Marvin Hubbard hosts conversations toward creating a fairer, more equal society.
2: Community or Chaos is made possible with the support of Quaker's Aotearoa. You'll find them online at quaker.org.nz. Good morning, friends. Today we're talking with Father Mark Chamberlain, a Catholic priest at Holy Name, who I believe just finished his 30-day retreat in Auckland. Yeah and 30 days of silence and that would be quite a challenge we'll be talking partially about jesus and his uh teachings and following christ and human values mark jesus christ as well as being a mediator and mirror the divine was a teacher How important is his role as a teacher, and do his followers need to take his teaching seriously?
0: Well, it's so important to realise we don't have all of the answers of how to be human. And when we consider Jesus... And consider him deeply something can happen deep in our hearts we resonate because we're reminded deep within us of what it means to be fully human to be truly human not to be isolated and self absorbed, but actually to be able to reach out to others. We're nearing the wonderful feast of his birth. But as we do that, we can have tears. for the people of Palestine, for the people of Israel and the peoples of the Ukraine and Russia. But in fact, well over a hundred conflicts happening in our world presently. But faith in Jesus brings us To see this, Luke tells us that Jesus looks over Jerusalem in tears. Sometimes we can feel quite powerless. What can we do? What? How can we possibly stop such a large conflict? or prevented a genocide occurring. And it's that powerlessness that helps us to look at Jesus, to stand with him and know that our tears for our world, no matter where the conflict is happening, our tears and our prayers matter. that uh,
2: experience of Jesus Luke talks about where he cried because he realized what was likely to happen to Jerusalem and also when he cried for his friends Lazarus. that makes me really like him more than i would otherwise yeah it makes me feel that it's all right to cry when bad things happen, that our hearts sometimes need to be pursed. Yeah.
0: Because when we are affected deeply, it's no longer logical, it's no longer a cognitive experience. But we allow ourselves to feel and quite often our tears can say much more clearly what's actually our experience. And as we know, they can be tears of pain and those tears of grief but they can also be the tears of wonder when we see um, the beauty of the season and see again what it is to notice sunlight on trees and so our tears Such a gift.
2: The New Testament talks about the kingdom of heaven. Is the kingdom, the term kingdom at the time of Jesus, was that equivalent to the nation or society?
0: You know, the... in the gospels we continually hear kingdom of god but to realize that this is not geographical to realize that it's actually about ourselves allowing the life of jesus to help us, to help others. That the kingdom of God isn't a place, but it is more about kindred, looking after our own kin, looking after our sense of relationship with every human being to kind of have that orientation in our heart where every person, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of uh, socioeconomic status, regardless of gender, any of the isms that can divide to realise that the kingdom of God is about knowing that everyone is our own kind.
2: Is it sometimes important to seek what we have in common as well as what we have as differences?
0: It's always much better to seek what we have in common, to reach for common ground, to work from that place, of what we share equally in common because so often differences allow us to move away from our heart and we no longer respond but we end up reacting or we end up moving into our thinking and our thoughts and even get into the uselessness of debate instead of coming to the place that we all have blood. We all need warmth, shelter, food. To realize we are one. Do you feel
2: like it's part of Christian commitment to follow Jesus as a disciple? Does that? mean being, that that Christians include serious thought about the ethical and social
0: teachings of Christ? Well, I don't think you can experience Jesus and love him without wanting to respond by living as he suggests we should. It's like following his teachings. It's not so much as if we're following instructions in a book, but it's because of the living relationship we have with him. We find ourselves um, more and more living less for ourselves in our own self-interest and much more for how to reach out, how to improve or help those who are in need of help. So it's something that happens to us rather than something we sign up to. We end up out of faith, out of prayer, coming to that place of of living a Christian life?
2: is it a combination of personal commitment to the needs that you feel and also building structures that make it easier for people to live
0: well I think it's it's realizing that um, God is active in this world and there are many ways of recognising this and part of our response is, is allowing ourselves to recognise the networks, the others who are engaged in trying to make this world more like the world God would recognise, Um, getting alongside others. And so, yes, it's both a personal experience and a, a desire that we want to do what we can with the life that we have, but knowing, too, that we don't have to do all this on our own.
2: The First Labor Prime Minister, Michael Joseph Savage, called the welfare state practical Christianity. What does our unwillingness to do what's necessary to feed the hungry, house the homeless, and visit and show mercy to prisoners in ATRO New Zealand? Should we stand with Matthew when he said, I was hungry And you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked. And you did not give me clothing. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me.
0: Well, these are the um, very concrete examples of how to be human. And in that parable that Jesus offers us. What's fascinating is that those who did this work say to him, When did we ever see you like this? In other words, they simply reached out to prisoners, the sick, those who are homeless. Those who are hungry, because of their own life of trust in God and realising we're all one. So, yes, the words of the first Labor Prime Minister are true and accurate words. But our present systems today have moved so far from practical Christianity, and the emphasis is different. It's not gospel-related, and that's the tensions that we keep encountering. Haven't we always had a a balance?
2: For- to a tendency for those who find power or have power to, to want to increase power and, and to um, increase greed. It feels like it's more important for the economy to grow than for people to have meaningful good lives. And for the for nature, for creation to flourish, yeah. Well, I play some Christmas songs now, and this is Marion Anderson. She was a black classical singer. and she once sang beneath the Lincoln Memorial in Washington DC. She sang there because the Daughters of the American Revolution wouldn't let her use the Opera House. And Eleanor Roosevelt um, suggested this. So oh, that was Marian Anderson singing uh, Christmas Ontario in German. Bach. And we're talking with um, Father Mark Chamberlain about um, I guess about Christmas in a way that we we'll seem to be talking about Jesus and his teachings and his inspiration and how we're sometimes inspired. You can podcast this by going to oar.org.nz, then going to podcast, then going to Community or Chaos. Many people including Pope Francis and our leading environmental scientists, say that we're in a social and environmental and spiritual crisis. So where do we find the ethical and spiritual humility and strength to name and face this
0: crisis? Well, I think we realize that we're in relationship with each other but we're in relationship too with all of creation even turning a tap on in our homes and thinking about how this water has got here to me how it's travelled but realising what's happening in our environment the changes in weather patterns, all the crises of disaster, to see that our whole planet and Earth is crying out for our response and to appreciate that we are not separate, we can't close ourselves off in some isolated way, so that when atolls in the Pacific are threatened with being flooded with water, seawater, where people are suffering due to a lack of water, we can't remain disconnected. So in ourselves it's realising that we do, and a call to do what we can do, where we can, whether that's writing or whether that's marching or whether that's entering into social media, whether it's simply refusing to use plastic or refraining from uh, something that would harm the environment. All of these simple things are ways of us saying, to creation, you are not on your own. We are with you."
2: Could you talk about the place of solid, the place of solidarity in the Pope's messages and
0: actions? Well, I think what we see in the life of Pope Francis is his refusal to be separated from what's going on, and he continually tries in all kinds of ways to show us that he's in the midst of what is happening and in the pain and in solidarity with what is going on around the globe. And we keep seeing that in both what he says or where he says it from. Simple, straight gestures of appreciating solidarity instead of isolation or instead of speaking from some lofty place but been amongst us.
2: One of the things that moves me about Francis is that he hasn't always been perfect. Yeah. And he admitted making huge mistakes when he was quite young and in, had in authority, and yet learning mercy and forgiveness partially from his mistakes. And I think that's so important that we can, we can change. Yeah, and we can learn from not only the our successes, but we can learn from our our mistakes as well.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I think there's a great temptation to hide our mistakes mm. or to pretend we're over them. But you know the a Japanese art form of kintsugi, where broken dishes are not discarded, but are re brought together through gold or some form of uh, glue to reshape them. And often, looking at those bowls, you notice that the largest um, areas of gold happen where the deepest brokenness occurred. And so it's really our brokenness, our vulnerability, our not getting it right, Mm. always, every Mm. time. Mm. That's what
2: Leonard Cohen said in one of his songs. It's where the cracks are is where the light gets in. Yeah, that's
0: beautifully... Image for us in that music.
2: That's from a, I think it's from a
0: Jewish parable. Yeah, sure. But it's like we live in a culture that's so clear on shaming. And people who've made mistakes are exposed and shamed. Just as we're encouraged to have the most perfect body or to sing in the most perfect way. Instead of realising just as we are, who we are, as we are, we're called simply to love, to reach out, to be with others. And even in our life story, to realise Yes, the mistakes I've made I can feel sorrow for them but I can also feel an appreciation that this was how I was and I've learnt and discovered and have been helped to see life more deeply now because of these mistakes. It's, you know, the harm that perfectionism can do at all kinds of levels. And that's where I think that when we look into creation, we realise all the ways that creation has of continually working around the mistakes that humanity inflicts on it. And it's insistence for life and growth. That too helps us to. Hold on to what really matters. And Jesus. Isn't born in a perfect place. And the best neonatal teams aren't available. But what we see instead is brokenness, ordinariness, a couple that seem homeless and unable to find an sp- actual space other than what they discover in the stable. And so the king, of the, if you like, or the saviour of all of humanity comes to us born in such a humble space where nothing is perfect. But there is a light that inspires and calls us to see a light that darkness can never extinguish. Mm. Do you think more prisons will make us better people? I think that the need for more prisons or the discussion about more prisons highlights how far we've moved from the words of Michael Joseph Savage that for people to be incarcerated and for the need for them to be there and the desire of others to keep them there means that we end up treating other human beings as different from ourselves and we lack empathy for them. And then should we be surprised that they seldom show empathy towards us Because prisons aren't able to heal what needs to be healed from places of respect and love. So, no, I don't think more prisons will make us any better as a nation.
2: It feels funny that we can, we can think we can afford to build more prisons, but we can't afford to build more homes.
0: That's right. And that funny feeling helps us to realise that that spirit of God continues to pulsate in our hearts when we want something better, like simple housing or nourishment so that young people don't have to feel mm-hmm. ashamed and go out and steal and rob and then be before the courts.
2: I remember going back to the United States for a visit in the about 1990 and it felt so painful when they um, executed people, sometimes very young people, sometimes people who had mental disabilities. But it was happening quite a. I, it still happens, but it was it was happening quite a bit when I was there, and it felt it felt so degrading to not just not to the people who were executed. It felt degrading to us. It felt like I was losing something when when it happened.
0: Yeah, that's right.
2: Um, seems to me that what we—I know—we're not perfect, but what we do to other people, either as an individual or as society, or because we have power, it—it it can
0: dehumanize us if yeah. we're not careful. Yeah, that's right. And that's why our tears and our feeling discomfort when we're faced into where people are not treated with dignity and respect, all of this matters because we are alive to what can be.
2: What does it take to restore hope and faith from despair?
0: I think it takes an openness. to realizing although we might feel powerless to do something we can be open in our hearts to educate our hearts to love silence and to be on our own, and to realise that actually we're not on our own. To come to a deep place of moving away from smartphones and constant noise and rapid information available online, or in all kinds of forms, but so little reflection, so little consideration of what it's about. And it's really our stillness or our educating ourselves to have a taste for silence, that we can be helped, not to be uh, dehumanised, but helped to appreciate the presence of God and this deeper movement of God's goodness in this world. And even though we cannot see an answer to this particular situation, nevertheless we are entrusting ourselves beyond ourselves
2: my wife died a little over a year ago and I live in a in the Dineen north up on the hills, Mount Mara, Normanby and after she died the people there surrounding me, my close neighbors were so helpful, I learned so much about them and they were so, they still are, in fact I've In some ways, I'm closer to my neighbors than I ever have been before. And that helped me not only go through that, but it helped me realize uh, in practice what being neighbors can be.
0: Yeah, that's right. Because to hear the pain of another... And then to reach out elicits what's actually so good in the human person. And without saying that I feel your pain or without saying that um, we are one, whenever any person is suffering, In a real sense, we all are. But love and care and support, all of these different behaviours, these ways of being human, remind us that there is deep hope around and that we can taste light again. And so even in Gaza, in the horrific scenes we view, to see hospital staff trying to do their absolute best, and to see people holding those who have been wounded or died, this care and this love in the face of such terror and horror, it's in times of silence when we consider this that we can move and taste again something of hope because despair fills us with noise.
2: Isn't it a sign of hope in a way that so many people are protesting against the, the way Gaza is being treated?
0: Definitely, because protest is it's one form. It may not be able to stop what's happening, but it certainly is an expression to express the horror and it's an expression that comes deep within our hearts that when we're affected, we need to do something about this. So it's just like when your neighbours hear that your wife has died, stirring in their hearts, I need to do something about this. I need to somehow reach out and respond. And I think our marching are expressions of support for those suffering in Gaza.
2: Well, I might play another song and then carry on. This is Silent Night by John Baez.
1: Thank you. the mm-hmm.
2: Well, friends, we're talking with Father Mark Chamberlain from the Holy Name um, Church. And we're talking about, um, about Christ and human values and hope and taking hope from despair. Could you talk about Paul's comment in Romans? Now, hope is is seen, now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what is seen, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it
0: with patience. I think to realize again and again that as we come into Christmas, we're reminded we're not in control that what we see are our efforts, but what we're invited to reach deeply into is to appreciate the initiative of God or God's imagination that's beyond us. And Paul here reminds us that It's not the obvious. But it's actually something that he says elsewhere that no eye has seen or ear has heard. Something much more beyond us that we can lean into. We can never fully understand What God's dream and vision is. But we can lean into that when all the other pressures are around us asking us to be like this or have this or achieve this or be important in this way. All of that nonsense is like dust. compared to the actual wonder of god's presence amongst us and so we can live superficially and not deeply but the feast of christmas it's an invitation for us to reach deeper. And even though we live in a world where child poverty is increasing, as is homelessness, drug addiction, the pains and horrors of Gaza, the Ukraine, in a world that is in pain, with climate, and environmental change. It's almost as if in the midst of all of that, and not disregarding what's happening to ourselves, it could be a diagnosis, or a relationship that is taking another turn in our lives. To come to a place of knowing that we're not on our own. That we are present and called to something we can't see or comprehend, but actually holds us in the midst of despair. So rather than understanding what this is all about, it's about leaning into what we can't see. The Irish poet, Patrick Cavanagh, says to us in his poem, On the Canal Bank Walk, My soul has grown tired and weary, Longs for blue and green things, and arguments that can never be proven.
2: What are your spiritual practices that help you keep your balance of equilibrium in an unbalanced social world?
0: Well, we can't have... uh, We live in a busy world, and... There's all this activity around us, um, and we can't have a perfect garden or, uh, you know, some sacred temple or chapel to go to all the time, but to appreciate that within us, in our own hearts, is the chapel, to carry silence within us. For myself, I, I value the time I can have being still and silent. Early in the morning, the silence, the space, and just leaning into the mystery of God. And then around midday to actually pause again and reflect back over the morning and think to myself, how was I drawn deeper into this mystery this morning? Or where did I sense the movement of God? And then again to do that in the evening. But before bed too take another hour of silence and stillness, looking out at the stars and realising even though I'm on my own, I'm never on my own, that the living presence of God keeps touching my heart. And so the spiritual practice is developing a taste for stillness and silence amidst all the activity, all of the smartphones, all of the information, all of the noise around us, and yet deep in my heart holding a contemplative space for this world and continually responding from that space Reaching deeper.
1: Mm.
2: Well, th- thank you very much for being with us. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Marvin. And thank you for your work for us. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On
1: the Air.